are Seraphim. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 4 of Generation Space. Today we'll be discussing game-changing space technology today and tomorrow. Space has become an indispensable and often unnoticed element of everyday life. Modern societies would not function without space. Most people know about established applications like Earth observation, navigation and communication, but space is also crucial for things like energy provision, financial transactions and many other vital functions of our society. Let's find out from the experts what they think changed the game and what exciting opportunities are on the horizon. Today I'm joined by Sarah from Chief Investment Officer James Brueger. Hi Leah. Hi James. Rob Desborough, the CEO of our Space Accelerator. Hi Leah. Hi Rob, and I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Maureen Haverty, Vice President of Seraphim Space. Maureen has recently joined the team and previously COO at Apollo. She was designing electric propulsion systems for spacecrafts. Maureen has first-hand experience in creating industry-leading technology for the space sector. Hi Leah, thanks for having me. Right, Maureen, let's get straight to it. In your opinion, what has changed the game? What was the light bulb moment that opened the market for private companies and kick-started the huge growth in the space industry? I think there's two things and they both feed into each other. First of all, there's the commodification of launch and then there's the change in how we build satellites, which then opens up a lot of new opportunities. So first of all, with commodification of launch, we obviously all know that SpaceX radically reduced the price of launch. They did that by urging an enormous amount of government funding and government contracts. So something between 80 and 90% of all the funding that SpaceX has ever received is from the government. So that's, I think, something that people aren't as aware about with um, New Space. But anyway, so they've managed to radically reduce the cost of launch. And then satellite integrators jumped in, such as Spaceflight was one of the first. And they made it so that anyone building a satellite could go online, Google, how do I launch a satellite? And then they could get the price, the dates, and then just actually really easily launch a satellite by paying you know, money in installments, filling out a simple form, and they can launch their satellite. So... What that means is that actually anyone can now launch a satellite. University students do it, high school students do it, and companies can test and launch satellites very quickly and cheaply. You can launch satellites as quickly as within six months now. So that's the first step. Second step then is that satellite manufacturers took advantage of that. It's much cheaper to launch a satellite. It's much faster. So what does that actually change? If launch is cheaper, you're not as worried about your satellite failing, So that means that we've actually moved away from building these one-off perfect satellites that have to last for 10 years because you can't afford to launch a new one. And anyway, even if you could, it would take too long to do so. So what that means now is that actually people have started moving towards a constellation model in general with their satellites. Constellation model means you launch five satellites or 10 satellites. So for your SpaceX, you launch thousands of satellites. So that's what we mean when we talk about constellations. And the difference here is that instead of those one-off perfect satellites, you can afford for maybe 5% of your satellites to fail. And what that means is that you can use uh, cheaper commercial off-the-shelf components like we use in cars. And the really great thing about those is, one, obviously they're cheaper, but two, they're higher performing. You know, satellites used to be obsolete by the time we launched them, and now they're actually leveraging the best technology that car manufacturers are developing, you know, mobile phone manufacturers are developing, and that means that satellites are better. And those two things together, anyone with an idea can now afford to launch a satellite And those satellites are now better and can be more sophisticated means that a lot of new opportunities have been opened up. 
with this new paradigm. So what does that mean for us down here on Earth? What industries are being disrupted? Obviously, climate monitoring is a huge area. Why is climate monitoring being disrupted? Because space allows you to see the entire world at once but actually get quite local in your information as well. So that's something that's really nice about the constellations. And then you can have lots of new sensors that allow you to detect greenhouse gas emissions, for example. Amazing. Rob, investment's not just about tech, it's about investing in people. From an accelerator perspective, what type of entrepreneurs are you seeing apply? You're absolutely right, Leah. I think the single greatest determiner of success in any of the businesses we back is the people behind them. It's the imagineers, the pioneers, the innovators. It's the entrepreneurs who are determined to change the world with their technology. And I think we're really seeing a new breed of entrepreneur, particularly within a university environment. People who are now looking to post-PhD really commercialize that research, take it to market. They're looking to bring global impact from an ESG perspective, and they just want to commercialize what they're doing now. They don't want to go and work for some of the current you know, space primes. They want to build their own technology companies. But we're also seeing fantastic entrepreneurs coming from other business areas, other industries who recognize that the scale that space can bring to their own business ambitions. And if we look at some of the most successful entrepreneurs in space, they've come from e-commerce backgrounds, they've come from travel, they've come from the music and record industry, the Musks, the Bezoses and the Bransons as well. Amazing. What about you, James? What's your opinion on what's changed the landscape? What are you excited about for the future? I think picking up on what both Leah and Rob have been talking about, I think if we look back over the last five or so years, what we've seen is there has been a complete paradigm shift within the space sector. So this ability to be able to make satellites out of commercial off-the-shelf technology that are really small, very cheap and highly capable, and then launch lots of them into orbit at low cost. That model really didn't exist more than about five years ago, and it is now incontrovertibly proven. However, we're still really in the foothills of the potential. So what do I see as being the key theme of the next five years? I think in one word, it's scale. So we've seen with these constellations them deploying the first phases, proving out their technical capabilities, and beginning to develop their commercial models. But we're still at a very early stage of that development. So let's zoom in in a couple of areas there so I can help you understand why we're so excited about what the next few years are going to bring. So first up, these mega constellations um, for satellite communications, of which um, SpaceX and Starlink is a great example. So the prospect of blanketing the entire Earth in reliable, high-speed broadband connectivity we think is going to be an absolute game-changer. So to put this in context, Starlink is the first of those constellations to begin operation, and it's only been doing that since early 2021. Today, it's still got less than a million subscribers globally, and it's got about 3,000 satellites in orbit, an enormous number relative to the history of the space age, but only a tiny proportion of the 12,000 that they're planning in the first phase of their constellation, and ultimately they're hoping to put up 42,000 satellites. One of their competitors, OneWeb, is still in its very first phase of deploying its constellation. So as we start to see over the next few years, these constellations growing and this connectivity coming everywhere, that really is going to have, we believe, a profound impact on the world over the next decade. It has the potential to help bring billions of people into the digital economy for the first time. And we see the impact of that globally as potentially being analogous to the same way in which since the 80s uh, in China, 
beginning to embrace the, the, the global economy and the wealth creation that that has led to for hundreds of millions of people worldwide. So this is a huge trend. So on to another area that some of these same characteristics also apply to. So Earth observation, which is essentially where you use satellites to capture data about the Earth using different sensors and collecting different data sets. So we're really at the very start of what some people are referring to as the Cambrian explosion in both the diversity of the different types of data that you're able to collect from space, but also the amount of data that you're collecting. So one way to think about this is it's similar to space's superpowers. It's using radars to be able to look through cloud and image in the dark. It's using infrareds to be able to see inside objects and buildings. It's using hyperspectral, which is where you're able to see hundreds of different bands of color that are completely invisible to the human eye. So all of those capabilities, historically, you've had really only a very, very small number of satellites that have ever been launched that can use these different types of sensors to collect all of these really interesting data sets. Most of those satellites have been from governments, they've been really big, resolution hasn't been great, and they've only passed over a particular point on Earth every few weeks. What you're starting to now see with the types of startups that are emerging in the space tech domain is people putting up constellations of these miniaturized satellites that ultimately are going to be capable of collecting all of these different data sets over every square meter of Earth every few hours. So we're talking about really huge amount of data here that is going to be collected about our planet that has applicability to virtually every sector you can think of. And if you just think about how big a business the likes of Facebook and Google have built on the value of their data, it's that sort of scale of data that we're talking the space sector generating over the next few years, and that is going to have just an enormous impact everywhere. And then lastly, there's a consequence to putting up all of these satellites in terms of space becoming a little more busy than it has been. So the consequence of that and the potential risks of space junk are actually an existential threat to life on Earth. Our everyday lives are inextricably linked to satellites in ways that we really can't even fathom. And were there to be some sort of cataclysmic event in orbit from all of these satellites and debris colliding with each other, then that's going to create massive problems. So a third area that we see as being an important area of growth is dealing with all of these satellites that are going up, being good custodians of space, and space, like every other industry, being held accountable for operating in a sustainable way. So whether that's what's known as space situational awareness, a bit of a mouthful, but that's understanding and tracking all the bits of debris that are in orbit through to actually doing something about that debris. So cleaning up debris and making sure that satellites when they reach the end of their life, are safely removed and deorbited. So I think those are three of the areas that we see from really that characteristic of scale, there being very big opportunities over the next few years. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, James. And now I'd like to go back to Rob. Rob is the CEO of our Space Accelerator. Rob, you see some of the most innovative companies and young companies globally at the moment. And what most excites you and what's the next big thing? Well, I think the accelerator has been brilliant from our perspective. It's really a bellwether for indicating trends globally. We launched the accelerator in 2018 and to date we've supported 63 companies from 20 countries globally. And we've considered over 2,000 companies over that period of time. And What for me is really interesting is that in the early days of the accelerator, we were predominantly focusing on telecommunications opportunities, launch, Earth observation. 
And as we move towards the most recent accelerator, we're looking at cislunar opportunities, we're looking at on-orbit servicing, we're really looking at beyond Earth and how we support the industrialization of LEO. So from our perspective, it gives us genuine insight into the trends in the market around investment, but also these trends we're seeing from different countries as well. We're starting to see inbound applications now coming from the Asia-Pacific market. We're seeing more interesting opportunities coming out of the likes of Singapore, Japan, and Australia. It's not just being dominated by North America and Europe anymore. I think a lot of people will be really interested in the climate change element in regards to space tech and how it can help us potentially solve some of the world's most pressing problems. Maureen, what's your opinion on this? So I already mentioned that one of the really nice things about space is that it allows us to be both global and local at the same time. But I think one thing that it's taken me a while to learn is a lot of our estimates about changes in the environment, how much greenhouse gases we're emitting, how much greenhouse gases we're capturing, these are all estimates. And also not only are they estimates, but we might be paying money to capture a certain amount of carbon and we only have their word to take for it. So space allows us to independently verify and check how much we're emitting, how much we're capturing, who's a big polluter. So it gives you that assurance in addition to information that we didn't have before. Yeah, and James, what about you? Yeah, well, just picking up on that, if you think back to some of the key outcomes from both COP26 and COP27, space is really at the forefront. So the entire push around carbon credits, carbon verification, carbon sequestration, you can only really do that at global scale and from a single source of truth by using satellites. Uh, And the same is very much true if you look at it from a a UK's perspective of having identified insulating all of our properties better as being the key driver in our efforts to move towards net zero. It's only with space that you're able to get that sort of scale and fidelity of data sets to enable us to undertake such significant initiatives. And finally, has anyone got an exciting myth buster that they can answer for the audience? Yes, and I have one that's directly related to space tech. So everyone thought when, as I mentioned, everything got cheaper, higher performance, you can launch a lot of satellites. Everyone thought we'd move towards these tiny little CubeSat constellations. But actually, people have been taking advantage of the lower cost to actually build higher performing satellites. So everyone's satellites have now started getting larger again. SpaceX is doing a larger satellite and many of the other startups are like, you know, for two million, I can get a pretty good satellite. So I'm just going to spend the two million and maximize my revenue. And it's an example of Jevons paradox, which exists across all of technology worth of Google. Wow. Thank you so much, Maureen. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today. You've been listening to Generation Space, the Seraphim podcast. If you'd like to find out more about any of today's topics, please check out our website. We are Seraphim.